The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Good, good. My name is Kevin Wilsey. I'm the Minister of Discipleship and Operations, and uh, I am glad that you are here. If you're a guest with us, welcome. Glad that you're joining us here this morning. Um, we are going to look at the second chapter of the book of Haggai. Um, and as most of y'all know, this summer we've been walking through the minor prophets, and the minor prophets have been showing us um, or telling us, commanding us, challenging us to remember the Lord. Um, and so this summer has been a summer to remember. And this morning we're going to continue in the second chapter of Haggai and finish the book, the book of Haggai from the Minor Prophets. Um, but last week we looked at chapter 1 and we saw that the prophet Haggai brought a word from the Lord challenging God's people to remember to seek first God's kingdom and seek first God's righteousness. And he said, remember to seek first my kingdom and to rebuild my house, to rebuild the temple. And he challenged the Israelites, he challenged God's people to examine their priorities and their circumstances because they turned their worship away from God and they placed their worship in other things. And God's people, we saw at the end of chapter 1, they responded in faith to the Lord's message and they repented by obeying and they started to rebuild God's house. And we come to chapter 2 where we find that the people once again are starting to lose focus on the work that God has called them to do. And we come to chapter 2 and we're going to see that God encourages them in three ways. We will see God points them to his glory, he shows them unmerited mercy, and he keeps his promise to his people. And so what I've done for you this morning to help you hopefully remember these points is I put them together in a sentence. And so um, the sentence to remember is our glorious God gives unmerited mercy and keeps his promise to his people. Our glorious God gives unmerited mercy and keeps his promise to his people. I want you to repeat it with me one more time. Our glorious God gives unmerited mercy and keeps his promise to his people. So go ahead, if you haven't, start to turn to the book of Haggai. Again, it's, uh, it is 37 books over from the beginning of your Bible or three books back from the book of Matthew, which is the beginning of the New Testament. So go ahead and start turning there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for our time. Father, I I pray that we will see you as glorious this morning, that we will remember, that we will hold fast to the truth that you are always with us, that you lavish your unmerited mercy upon us. Father, I pray this morning that we will see that your promise is true, that you keep your promises. Father, that you keep your promises to his people, and in our lives, you are going to keep your promise. Father, may we today be overwhelmed just by your glory. May we be overwhelmed by your grace and your faithfulness in our lives. Father, would you be with me as I, as I just teach your word? Father, would, would you go before me? May these be your words that are spoken out of my mouth, not my own. 
We love you. We praise you. And all God's people said, amen. So first, let's look at our glorious God. Our glorious God. Chapter 2, verse 1. God's people first. Sorry, this isn't verse 1. This is a sentence before verse 1. God's people focus on the glory of the temple, but God, he calls them to focus on his presence, which is his glory. So God's people, they focus on the glory of the temple, but God calls them to focus on his presence. That's what we're going to see here in this first section. Verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel. Say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. The son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. And ask them these three things. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? So it's been about a month. The people have turned from placing other things above God. They've repented and started to obey, and they've been building, rebuilding God's temple for about a month now. And we see that they start to lose focus. And Haggai, he puts in here a specific date, the seventh month on the 21st day of the month, to pull us, pull our attention, to let us know that this, again, is a festival time. This is a time, the Feast of Tabernacles, where everyone is out, and Haggai is with the people, and Zerubbabel and Joshua are there as well. And actually, this feast, this festival, is the very day that Solomon celebrated the, the building of the first temple. Over 70 years ago, on this day, Solomon was celebrating the completion of the first temple. And so we can see now why Haggai, or God through Haggai, starts to bring up these questions. And he says to Zerubbabel and and Joshua and God's people, and he asks, how many of you are old enough to remember what the former temple was like? How many of you are 70 years old and older? He's talking to the older generation here. But don't get lost. I'm not just only going to talk to older generation here in this room today. But the application speaks to all of us. He says, how many of you are old enough to remember what the former temple was like? You see, the people were remembering Solomon's temple, and they were remembering how glorious it was. And if you look back in your Old Testament, you do, you see how glorious it was with, with cedar walls and, and gold in, on the floors, and they would walk on gold. And it, it looked glorious, and these, these people who were remembering this temple, they're starting to compare what they're working on, what God has called them to do with the past and the past glory. So God since Haggai to ask these questions to bring up this idea, to bring up what, what they're doing, they're comparing. The book of Ezra uh, shows that when, when this new temple was ded- dedicated, there's a mix of shouts of joy and shouts of weeping. See, the older generation remembered what Solomon's temple wa- was like and they were losing focus. They, they were discouraged because they're comparing this current work that God has them to do with the past and the past glory. They were dis- 
discouraged on working on this temple. They knew that this temple would be nothing like the old. And God knew that this discouragement is going to cause the people to stop doing what I've commanded, what I've asked them to do. He knew that if they dwelt on this past glory, that then it would lead them to rather than completing the work that God has given them to do, it would lead them to just stop working and be in discouragement. See, they don't think the outcome is going to be as glorious as the past was. But Haggai here encouraged them, don't don't just remember the past. Lift up your eyes towards God's presence and God's glory. Continue with me in verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you declares the Lord of hosts. If you were here last week, I would underline the Lord of hosts. You're going to see it a lot this week. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. The Lord says, be strong and what? And work. Be strong and work. Continue to do what I've asked you to do. Don't get discouraged. Don't be discontent. Continue in the work I've called you to. Because I am with you. I have always been with you. And this is the same call we, we saw that David gave his son Solomon when he first started building the first temple. He said, be strong and courageous and do it. Do the work. Build it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And we see that same encouragement given from Moses to Joshua and even from God to Joshua that I am with you. Continue to do the work that I've commanded you to do. Continue to obey my voice. Don't grow weary. Remember, I was with you when I brought all of you out of Egypt. I was with you when I brought you out of Babylon. I'm with you. I've always been with you. You don't have to fear. You can be encouraged to continue to the work. Don't think, don't dwell on past glories. Verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Underline those three. The Lord says, I'm not only with you, but I will take care of the results. I am the Lord of hosts. I am control of all. I am over all. I own all. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to turn them over. Just like if he turned me over, the change is going to fall out of my pocket. And it's his. It's his. He owns it. He's going to bring it into his house, into his kingdom, because it's his. He will fill this house with glory. Yes, it, it will be glorious with material stuff because it's all, it's all God's, but this glory is nothing compared to what is coming. 
his glory that is coming. Look at verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. He says, my glory is coming that is going to fill this house, but there's a future glory that is coming that, that is far greater. We just sang about seeing God's glory on the horizon. This is what he's saying. He's saying, look further. Don't look back in the past at the glory that was there. Look forward because my future glory that is coming, it is far greater than what you're thinking. So he's pulling their attention forward. And because we have the Bible, because we have the complete set of Scripture, which is God's Word, we know what this glory is. If you look at John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The future glory that is coming, that is on the horizon for the people of Israel, is Jesus Christ. It is God with us. It is his presence on earth. That is the glory of the Father. That is the glory he is talking about. He is not talking about the glory of gold and silver. Yes, he owns it and he will bring that glory, but he's talking about the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 12, 27, which is actually the only reference to, to Haggai in the New Testament, says, yet once more, he will shake the heavens and the earth, indicating that there will be a removal of things that can be shaken or the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken remain. See, God is going to prepare the earth for the glorious reign of Jesus, and those in Christ Jesus will remain with his glory, and it is in Christ that there's going to be peace. He's saying, my glory is coming. I'm going to shake the kingdoms. I'm going to shake the earth. And those who are found in Christ in this glory, they're going to remain. <clears throat> you see, the people, they're discouraged at the present look and work of the temple and don't believe that it will be as glorious as what it was. See, but God, he encourages them to continue to work, continue to do the work. Trust that, that I am with you. Trust that my work is greater. Trust that his work is far greater. He's working all things for his glory, and a greater glory is coming. And doesn't that speak to us directly today? It is so easy for us to, to grab our phones, to sit on our computers, and to pull up Instagram and Facebook and, and Twitter, or uh, just look at, at pictures of our friends and family members, or as we're out in culture and society, we see the best of everyone. Even when you step through the threshold of the church, it just seems like everyone is doing well, that things are going great. We see how glorious they are, how, how perfect people are. We see what that other church is doing down the road, and, and why isn't Norris Ferry doing this? Or why isn't Norris Ferry doing that? We see how this mom over here has her kids in a circle reading their Bible, and she has a cup of coffee in her house, and the background is clean. <laughs> we see that. 
right? We see how this man has 25 people at, at a lunchtime Bible study. And as we're scrolling through the comments, we see everyone's praising how great this Bible study was and how great he was. We see how so-and-so gets to travel all the time and enjoy God's glory in, in nature, but I'm stuck here in South Shreveport. <laughs> see, all these are great things, and I don't want you to hear me wrong. But it is so easy to be discouraged in what God has called us to do if we are looking towards other temples, comparing what we have or are doing. God has called you to something. Don't get discouraged by looking at these other things. God says, be strong and continue to do the work. I am with you. Lift up your eyes and know that even if you can't see my glory at work, know that I'm working for my glory and for your good and my presence. It is with you. Stay encouraged in what I have called you to do. You are building more than you see. So what does this mean for the businessman or the businesswoman who wants to start a Bible study or who has started a Bible study at work? And three people show up. Two people show up. No one shows up. What does that mean? Do not get discouraged. Persevere. Continue to do the work because God has not left you. I promise you that. For the stay-at-home mom trying to disciple your kids and times are tough and all you want them to do is just stop screaming and to come and sit down and listen to a Bible study with you. Be strong because what you are doing, even if it seems difficult and mundane, it is worth it. And remember that the Lord of hosts is with you. Continue to do the work that he's called you to do for the empty nesters or the retirees. All your friends may be, may be traveling, and that, that's good, that's okay, but don't compare your life if you're here in South Shreveport. Let me tell you, there are younger families here sitting even in this room who need help to walk out their faith and fatherhood and motherhood and, and how to be a Christian at work. So if God has called you to that and maybe you haven't started it just because you're scared, let me encourage you to do it because he promises that he is with you. He promises his presence with you. So I want to encourage you to walk that out or maybe you've already been, maybe you've already been doing that. And you're, you're seeing obstacle of obstacle or you're just, it's too hard waking up at four in the morning to go disciple these guys. Keep doing it. Don't get discouraged. Don't look elsewhere and try to find pleasure or try to find an image of maybe what your life could be like. Listen to what God has called you to do and let me encourage you to persevere and continue to walk in that. Maybe it's with evangelism. Maybe you've been witnessing with a friend or a family member or a neighbor over and over and over again. And you haven't seen any results. Let me encourage you, the results aren't up to you. Their salvation is not based on what you're doing. So continue to get on your knees and continue to, to cry out to the Lord for their salvation. Continue to do that work.
for the students who are in school and you're, you're trying to learn how and what it looks like to be a Christian, but yet everyone around you is, is making fun of you for, for doing good things or teachers are saying that faith isn't real. Let me tell you to look at the horizon, to lift up your eyes and know that a future glory is coming, a future peace that is coming, and that this time in school where you might be discouraged from what other people are saying to you, one day it's not going to be there. The work that you're doing in school, as you walk out your faith, it is worth it. So continue to do that work. Don't focus on the results only. Don't focus on on other people's past or current success. Continue to do the work and be encouraged because God is with you. You can stand strong knowing one day his glory is going to come. One day he's going to shake all things and the only thing that's going to remain are those in Christ Jesus. So look beyond what you can see with these physical eyes and have faith that our God, a glorious God, is working, even if you don't see it, okay? <clears throat> now, back to, to Haggai chapter 2. Now, a few months ago, uh, sorry, a few months go by, and we come to, to verse 10. So the Lord encourages him to continue to work. He promises his presence. He promises a future glory. They continue to work to, to rebuild the temple, and the Lord Um, brings another encouraging word through Haggai. And he says, the work you do doesn't make you holy. The work you do doesn't make you holy, but you can do holy work because of God's unmerited mercy. Look at verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest said, it does does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. What? What is going on here? All right, basically Haggai gets the priest to show the people that unholiness, uncleanliness spreads in a way that holiness or cleanliness doesn't, right? I've heard it put this way. If you drop a white glove in mud, the mud doesn't get glovey, okay? Or another way, another way I've heard it put to help you understand, and I back this up. My wife's a nurse practitioner, so I think this is accurate. Um, Yeah, that's a shout out to my wife. You can see her. Put it this way. Um, A healthy person can't pass on their health to a sick person. But a sick person, right, can pass on their sickness to a healthy person. When you're healthy, you're not running to the sick sick person's house, right, trying to make them healthy. No, you're staying away because a sick person can make you sick. All right? 
So Haggai is saying to the people, your holy work on the temple is not going to make you holy. Actually, your work on the temple is just making the holy things you touch unholy. You are defiling the work because your heart is not right with God. So what you offer to God is unclean. What you offer to God is unclean. He's showing them that they have been unclean, that their heart is not right with the Lord. And look at verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward. I want you to read that. Consider from this day backward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. Before you started to rebuild God's temple, before your heart was right with the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. He says, consider from this day backwards. Look at your past. Remember, before you started building, before you repented and obeyed, how is your life? This is everything we talked about in chapter 1. This is everything we talked about in chapter 1. He's He's showing them that that God spent 18 years trying to get their attention by disciplining them because by causing a a massive drought, by taking away oil and wine, and and they could never get warm by putting on clothes. There was this, this discipline from the Lord so that he could get their attention to turn back to him, to worship him rather than other things. For 18 years he did that, and nothing was working. So Haggai's saying, remember that time. Remember when God did that. Remember that your disobedience and your, your selfishness, it, it led to defilement. Remember when your hearts were not right with God. They weren't in the right place. They weren't worshiping God, but they were worshiping themselves and other things. He says, look at that time. Remember when you were unclean. That was then. Now verse 18 This is now. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day, I will bless you. You see, in chapter 1, God responded to their empty worship and neglect of rebuilding his house by continuing to pursue them, by continuing to love them, right? He said, you guys, my people, you're not focused on me. You're worshiping other things. I'm going to lovingly discipline you to turn your attention back to me. And that didn't work. He did it for 18 years. So God sent the prophet Haggai to the people, and the prophet Haggai showed them their sin, showed them that they, their priorities and their circumstances were not God-honoring, that they were putting other things above God. And then we saw in verse 12 of chapter 1 that they repented and they obeyed and they turned their lives back to the Lord and God promised to be with them. But here we see God not only, only promises to be with them in their rebuilding, but he promises to bless them. 
He says, is there seed in the barn? What does that mean? It means that they have planted all their seed, but they're waiting to see what comes from it. So they don't know. All the seed is planted. They've, they've done the work, and God is saying, just wait. I will bless you from this day forward. I will bless you from this day forward. What is, what is this going to yield? And God's saying, I will provide for you. You see, God was pleased with their response to his exhortation through Haggai. So it was God who sent Haggai, and it was God who shepherded his people from being oblivious, defiled, and disobedient. And he shepherded them from those things to be obedient, responsive, and to please him. It was God that was doing all this work from the very beginning. And that is God's unmerited mercy towards his people. See, it was God that turned their hearts back to him, and now they're going to receive his mercy. They're going to receive his blessing, even though they don't deserve it. They've been unclean. They've been unholy. But God gives them his unmerited mercy. So where are you today? For some of us, you're covered in sin. You're defiled, and you come to church or you do good things because you're trying to work your sin off. You're trying to work towards your, your salvation. You're trying to earn your salvation. And you view these works as holy, and somehow they make you holy. But I want to tell you that that work that you're doing, it's not. It's not earning your salvation. It's not going to work. What you offer to God, it's defiled and it's unholy. And that should break your heart. If you are living in sin, your worship to God, it's defiled and it's unholy. Your heart isn't right, but you are sitting here in this room today, and I want you to know that God wants you to listen. He wants your attention. He wants you to hear this. He wants you to consider your past and see that you've been living an unclean life. See that you've been living in rebellion against God, only focused on yourself, only focused on what brings you pleasure. You see how great your sin is. And with it, you can't even be in God's presence. So you've placed many things above God, but God is telling you today to repent and turn, to give your whole life, your whole heart to God by loving him, by trusting in him, by obeying him. Don't trust and obey and, and love these idols. Don't put these other things above me, but trust and love and obey me. Rip out that sin in your life and trust that, that I'm with you, that I'm here for you, that there is a future glory that is greater. See, God's people had a turning point in their life to repent and walk in obedience in order to receive God's unmerited mercy. And that turning point for you is Jesus Christ, right? That unmerited mercy is Jesus Christ. Jesus was sent to turn us from the curse that we deserve, death, 
to God's mercy we don't deserve, life and salvation. Christ made this possible by living a perfect life, obeying God's commands perfectly because we cannot obey God's commands perfectly. And he died with the weight of our sins on his shoulders, taking the full wrath of God on himself in our place, But he rose again, and three days later, defeating death, and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's waiting to return. By putting your faith in Jesus, you receive this unmerited mercy, and one day he's going to come back for us, and we will live in his presence, in his glory forever. And for those of us who already have faith in Jesus, we even fall sometimes into the lie or the belief that we can work towards our salvation. That I've sinned, and instead of me repenting because that's, that's hard and that's nasty, instead of me repenting, I, I'm going to do something good. And then maybe God will look at me differently because I, I'm doing these good things, these good deeds, these, these good works, rather than repenting. Don't allow the work God has called you to do to become defiled by your sin. He wants us to be quick to repent by giving your whole heart, your whole life, to love him, to trust him, to obey him. So don't fall into that lie that you can earn your salvation because you can't. But trust in God's unmerited mercy that was brought to you through Jesus. In your relationship with Jesus, you will see God's mercy on your life. See, Jesus has already paid the price for your sin, and God, he's just after your heart. He wants your attention. Our glorious God gives a merited mercy, and lastly, he keeps his promise to his people. God is keeping his promise to shake the nations and establish his kingdom. Verse 20, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel declares the Lord and make you like a signet ring for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. He's going to shake heaven and earth soon. Just as he promised back in verse six, he's going to shake it to establish his kingdom. He's telling Zerubbabel that what he said earlier is about to happen. It is going to come true. He is going to overthrow the current world powers, right? Babylon, And the Persians, the ones that that he brought up to get the attention of his people, he's about to overthrow and get rid of. It's the Lord of hosts that is doing this. He's about to do that just like he did with Egypt. The ones he raised up for his glory, he is now going to destroy for his glory. And when he does, he's going to make Zerubbabel his signet ring. He's going to make Zerubbabel signet ring have the authority to do the Lord's work. 
have his stamp of approval. He is the one who's going to act in the Lord's name. He is who is going to continue the promise. Back in 2 Samuel, we see that God, that God made a promise with David that a son is going to come, a, who, a son who's going to be like a son to God, and he's going to establish his house and kingdom forever. And on this day, God is restoring his promise that one day a king is going to come and reign forever. So he says, Zerubbabel, I raised you up. You have my signet ring because that promise I made way back then, it's going to come true. I'm still working on it. You may not see it, but here, I'm raising you up. And one day, this king who's going to reign forever, he is coming. This covenant line of the promise that I've said, it is coming true. See, the Lord selecting Zerubbabel turned the Israelites and pointed them forward. That God's promise continues and it's going to be fulfilled and God's people look forward to the future hope of God establishing his kingdom. And we again see God kept his promise to his people. If you turn over to Matthew, three chapters over, chapter 1, verse 12 we see that Zerubbabel is part, is part of the genealogy of Jesus. Look at verse 12. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abuad, Abuad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azur, Azur the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathen, Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. See, Jesus is God's promise kept to the Israelites, to God's people. He promised it, and we know that he kept his promise. And we see that Jesus is God's chosen servant. Matthew 12, 18, behold, my servant whom I have chosen, the one who God has placed his seal of approval. John 6, 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, which is Jesus, will give to you. For on him God the Father set his seal. And we see Jesus Christ was God's promise kept to David and God's people in the book of Haggai. And we also have a promise of God that one day Jesus is going to return again to establish his kingdom with his glory forever. One day he's going to shake heavens, shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to overthrow kingdoms and nations, and he's going to usher in his kingdom for the final time. And just as David read in Revelation 21, Listen to these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. God is coming, and we don't need any of these glory of any of the glory of the world, any of these material things, because it is God's presence that is the glory. And it is God's glory that is going to shine and give us the light. We don't need the moon or the sun because my glory is so bright. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. I own it all. I am the Lord of hosts. Yes, everyone's going to bring me their treasures but my glory is going to be in this place. And yes, the things will be glorious, but it is my glory, it is my presence that is the true glory, the greater glory. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb book, Lamb's book of life. See, God, he's, he's going to keep his promise. He's, he will establish his kingdom with his glory. So the work we do, we don't need to labor in vain. We don't need to be discouraged. We can labor with hope that God is with us now, that he's working for his glory until we are with him forever. So be strong and work. Be strong and work and know that God is with you. It's okay. You got it now. Be strong and work. Be quick to repent of your sins and don't defile God's work with your sin, but trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And remember that while we wait for his return, that our God is glorious. Our God is a glorious God who gives unmerited mercy and keeps his promise to his people. Okay, let's pray. Father, I pray that we will not be discouraged in the work that you have called us to. I pray that we will be obedient to what you've called us to do and we would be strong and know that you are with us and that although we may not see your glory working, I pray we will trust that you are working, that we won't grow weary, that we will lift our eyes and we would, we would look to the horizon and know that one day a greater glory is coming because we can hold fast to that because we know your, your word is true. It is trustworthy and true. What you say is going to happen. Father, we know that you promised to return again. And Father, we look forward to that. That day where there's no more pain, where there's no more suffering, where we won't be discouraged anymore, but we would be worshiping in your glory. Father, I pray that we will see our need for your unmerited mercy. Father, we are unclean. We are unholy. We are in need of your son, Jesus. 
For those who have not put their faith in Jesus, I pray that they will, that they would see that you have provided him as your unmerited mercy, that they would receive that mercy. And Father, for us who, who have put our faith in him, Father, I pray daily as we sin, we'd be quick to repent and run to that mercy, that we would run to your son, Jesus and trust in his finished work on the cross so that we can continue to do the work that you called us to. And Lord, I, I pray that we do, we hold fast to the promise that you're gonna return, that you're gonna shake the heavens and the earth, that all pain and tears and suffering will be wiped away. And one day we're gonna be in your presence, in your glory. And one day we are gonna be singing, as Revelation says, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.